thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And shut the front door. If you have not seen today's guest or at least the product that today's guest has put out into the world, then um, you're under a rock. Because this particular product has been all over social media, I know for myself, at least for the last 12 months. And there are some um, times where it becomes far more prolific. And as soon as I mention anything to do with meditation, I think my phone listens to me and it starts sending me all of this amazing information about meditation. But the number one product that I get fed prolifically is this incredible um, product called Muse. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen it on social media or even seen it online. It's unbelievable and we are so lucky to have the co-founder, and I love her title, Chief Evangelist Officer. I'm totally stealing that for Spirit Hive. But we have got the beautiful Ariel Garten joining us today on the show here on Up For A Chat to talk to us all about this incredible technology that supports meditation, how it works. Cindy's got some hard questions to ask. Let's get into it. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. My sincere pleasure, a total honor to be here with all three of you. (laughs) Ariel, one of the questions that I always love to start our show with is to find out a little bit more about you before we get into what it is that you do. Could you give us a brief background as to who you are and how you came to being with us today? Sure. So my name is Ariel Garten. My own background comes from neuroscience, psychotherapy, and design, you know, obvious pairing. Um, And I came to these worlds because I was really curious about how the world worked. I've always wondered both from a scientific perspective, how it is that we perceive, from a scientific perspective, how it is that the world around us functions as it does? Why are tables hard? Why do things look the way that they do? And then from a neuroscientific perspective, how is it that we perceive the world around us? Why do we see that thing as red? Why do we hear this word? How can we say these words and have a conversation? And those curiosities took me to, um, through the path of art, which is a way to create how we see the world and shift perception, took me through psychotherapy, which is a methodology of understanding your own perceptions, how they're sometimes twisted and how to reform them through neuroscience, how to actually understand how the mind makes sense of all this from a real biochemical and neurochemical perspective. And finally, into the world of meditation, which to me is one of the best methods for understanding your own internal state, how you see the world, understanding the things that may or may not be true and how you're perceiving the world in yourself, and then being able to use the technology, quote unquote, of meditation to actually shift your own thinking and understanding to be able to see and perceive more clearly. One of the things that you said, Ariel, was understanding how you perceive the world. And our guests have probably heard me talk about this before, but there were, I had two siblings, so there were three of us in a household. My sister saw our childhood as a nightmare, and my brother and I saw it as a fairy tale. Is that what you're talking about? And why does that happen? So that's very much what I'm talking about. 
so we can both perceive, you know, the actual world, the color of something, and then we can also perceive our life story, perceive the world around us, and um, understand it through our own narratives. And we all have our own narratives, and those narratives can be colored both by the actual events, by the preloaded stories that we have about the world and the schema that we interpret it through, and also just by the simple neurochemistry that you may be experiencing at that moment. You know, as any, as any woman knows, you know, there are days within your menstrual cycle where the world looks completely clear and normal and you, you feel very calm in it. And then a slight little shift in your own hormones can dramatically change how you perceive the same scenario and how you react. So in all of us throughout the course of a day, throughout the course of various rhythms in our lives, we end up shifting you know, our, our ability to perceive the world. And sometimes things can look very dark. Sometimes they can look very light. Um, all seeing out of the same eyes and seeing with the same brain. So what I want to know is what, how did you figure out, um, and, and this might be a huge question, I don't know, but how did you figure out by using a design and technology that you could shift the way people perceive things? So first I was helping people shift those things through psychotherapy. And then one of the main tools that I was using in psychotherapy was meditation. So in meditation, what you learn to do is you learn to observe your thoughts, not buy into them, not necessarily take what they're saying as true, and then be able to make choices about the thoughts that you choose to follow and believe in and the thoughts that you choose to let go. And in meditation, you're able to do that both with your thoughts and with your emotions. So, you know, most of us kind of go through the world just having a whole bunch of thoughts in our head and assuming that that's what we're supposed to be thinking. And so when we think that things are really happy and great because that's the thoughts that are in our brain, awesome. And we think that things are really dark because those are the thoughts we have, too bad. Well, it turns out that you can shift those thoughts and shift the relationship to the kinds and quantities of thoughts that you have. And in doing so, really shift your outlook in the world. And you can do the same thing with your emotions, which I'm sure we can get into later. And so I was teaching meditation to my patients. Nobody was ever really doing it. They went home. Um, frankly, I sucked as a meditator as much as I believed in the methodology. It found it really hard to do. Um, my patients believed in it too, but were only you know so successful because they'd go home, they'd try to meditate, their thoughts would bounce all over the place. They'd be like, eh, this sucks, this is not for me, and then they wouldn't meditate. And so I started working with this early brain-computer interface technology. And uh, to make a very long story short, we recognized that this early technology was something that we could apply to meditation in order to teach people to meditate more effectively and show them what was going on in the black box of their mind. So, sorry, so, I've got magpies walking in my house. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I'm actually magpies. <laughs> sorry, I said I had magpies walking in my house, and I walked away from the computer to shoot them out. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's like, being in Australia. <laughs> is this is what happens, Karen? You you go. Yeah, I, Ariel, I'm curious. You mentioned the, the technology is to teach people to meditate. So is, is, is that um, from the context that they would only use this technology in the beginning and then they would be able to meditate by themselves? Or is this a, is, is this a, a device that um, continue, a, a person would continue to use? Can you explain 
that a little bit to us? Sure. Um, why don't I jump back one step and actually describe what Muse is and what it does? And then we can answer that question. Does that make sense? Perfect. So Muse is a brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. It's actually a clinical-grade EEG, and it tracks your brain activity during meditation to let you know when you're meditating and when your mind is wandering. So in a basic focused attention meditation, uh, what your job is to focus your attention on your breath. Eventually, your mind wanders. You notice that it's wandered, and then you return your attention to your breath. Um, as simple as this instruction is to do a basic meditation, most people, A, don't really totally know what to do, B, don't know when they're totally doing it right, and C, your mind keeps wandering and wandering and wandering, and you forget what you're supposed to be doing, so it becomes really hard to attend and then return to your breath. So we recognize that we could use technology to solve these problems, to show people what goes on in your mind during meditation, to show you what you're supposed to be doing, and to get you back to that state of focused attention more effectively teaching you the art of metacognition. And so how Muse works is it actually tracks your brain activity while you meditate. So in the same way that a Fitbit on your wrist will track your motion and send that data to your phone and you can actually track your movements, uh, Muse does the same thing. It's a slim little device that you slip on your head, basically like a Fitbit around your forehead. It tracks your brain activity while you meditate. And during your meditation, it gives you real-time feedback to know when you're in focused attention and when your mind has wandered. And the metaphor we use is your mind is like the weather. So when you're thinking, when you're distracted, you actually hear it as stormy. It translates your brain activity into guiding sounds. And when you bring yourself to quiet, focused attention, it quiets that storm. So when your mind begins to wander, you literally hear your the sound of your mind get louder. And as you bring yourself to focused attention, it quiets that sound. So it gives you this real-time feedback to really efficiently and effectively know when you're focused, when you're doing it, and when you're wandering. And then after the fact, you actually get charts and graphs and data, stuff that really shows you what your brain was doing moment to moment, helps you go back and reflect upon your practice, and gives you a gamification and a motivational architecture that keeps you coming back and doing your practice session after session after session. So that's what it is. So is it for a beginner? Is it for an advanced? Well, it turns out that it happens to be kind of for everybody. We weren't sure when we were building it who was going to be the sweet spot. Um, we know beginners absolutely love it because for somebody who doesn't know what meditation is, this really just teaches you super effectively. You put the thing on, you're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Awesome. For people who are advanced meditators, it gives you a whole level of insight into your meditation that you haven't had before. As a meditator, it's your job to be a consciousness explorer, to track and observe the process of your thoughts, of your internal state. And, you know, none of us have ever been able to have a mirror that you can just slip into your brain and say like, well, this is what's happening. Well, this is in a sense what Muse is able to do. It becomes a mirror to your mind and to your state. So advanced meditators love to be able to actually see what's going on inside your mind, become sensitively aware of those shifts of your attention and be able to improve from multiple directions um, or just explore. So we found it a really effective tool for like all across the board, which is beyond what our expectation was. I'm curious as to asking you, Arielda, from the point of view of I can understand, and, and as an athlete, this appeals to me, so to track it and to follow it and to see what I'm doing and to measure it and to see all of that. Then the holistic um, part of me goes, um, why would we need something to do that when you practice something enough 
the essence of meditation is truly and purely a connection to source, to self, to, to master that inner voice, if you like, or to help relax or to help offset thoughts, etc. I'm just, I'm sitting here trying to, to balance up the technology compared to the essence and the esoteric teachings of generations and thousands of years of what it means to actually be a great meditator. Can you help me on that one? Absolutely. And by no means is this, you know, an enlightenment button. This is a tool just like any other tool to take you down along that path or to help you along a portion of that path. So meditation is absolutely about you and your connection to yourself. If you believe it, you and your connection to source, you and the connection to something greater, um, or, you know, you tapping into your own abilities and your own physiology. So there's uh, a thousand things that meditation is that we will never be and never hope to be. What we are is a tool that helps you do a portion of this practice more effectively and help you gain perspective and insight on, on an aspect of the process of your own mind. So focused attention meditation is often the very first meditation that people learn, and it becomes really the core of your practice. It's the thing that helps you strengthen your attention and initially begin to really understand how you observe your own thoughts. And with Muse, we're able to show you when your mind is wandering and when you're focused. So we're able to hone that attention and give you a new layer of insight into your own thoughts. This is a practice that you do for a limited amount of time each day. And then it is yours to go out into the world and apply however you choose. Now that you have an improved level of concentration on your own, you're able to you know, query your internal self, query your connection to anything you want, possibly more effectively. You're able to have honed your power of observation of your internal processes and apply that in any way you choose. You know, it is simply a tool. The world is a beautiful place. When you put on glasses, sometimes that gets clear. When you put on binoculars, you can see a particular portion of it. When you use a telescope, you can see things that are right in front of you and you're never able to see before. doesn't mean that the microscope was creating the thing in front of you or the telescope is replacing the stars. It's simply a tool or a piece of technology to give you another level of insight or to give you a leg up. Could you explain how that technology works and what um, is being used and, and how it attaches to the body and the brain? Can you go through that with us? Sure. So it uh, uses actually a clinical grade EEG. So the same thing that's used in hospitals, um, in laboratories to track brain activity. Um, what we've done is we've taken it and we've shrunken it down into this slim, easy to use little device that's four sensors. So there's two sensors on your forehead. Um, FP1 and FP2 in your 1020 electric placement, and two sensors behind your ears on your temporal lobe, T9 and T10. And so they're able to track the electrical activity of your brain. So your brain communicates electrochemically. Your neurons are speaking to one another with electrochemical signals. And the sum total of that electrical activity can actually be read outside of the head. Um, and so we're basically, it's like having a penny on your forehead that's able to uh, sensitively detect the shifts in electrical currents. And over looking at now millions of people during meditation, we're able to identify a pattern of brain activity that looks like focused attention versus the pattern of brain activity that looks like mind wandering. And so when you're using Muse, we're able to track your brain activity and then be able to classify whether you're in focused attention or whether you're in mind wandering. You do a short calibration beforehand because our brains are different every day. Your brain is different every day and moment to moment. 
to calibrate to see where you're at. And then from that calibration, determine if you're in focused attention, i.e. meditating, or if you're in mind wandering. And then all that data sent to the phone, sound cues are created for focused attention versus mind wandering. And that's what gives you the feedback. And you actually really get the experience that you're hearing your own mind. It's not like, oh, my phone is beeping, therefore my mind is wandering. No, you're like, it literally sounds like you're hearing the storm pick up in your head when your mind wanders. And you're hearing your thoughts quiet when it gets quiet inside your head. It's quite, quite lovely. So um, do you have to have the phone attached to it while you're doing it? Or can you put your phone away from you and take away the Bluetooth and the wireless technology and go out into nature, do it, and then download afterwards? Or is the phone a, an absolute integral part of the um, ECG equipment that's going around your head? Yeah, the EEG. ECG oh, yeah. is on the heart, EEG is on the back. Oh, sorry, EEG. Sorry. It's okay. That's actually the same sensor that you could use for an ECG or an EEG. Okay. Um, and actually, Muse 2 has a PPG sensor. It also has a heart sensor on it. So you're, you're, not, so, you're, you're not far off track. Thanks. Um, so you do need uh, the phone. So the, the uh, device, the Muse headset, sends data to your phone via Bluetooth. You can have your phone relatively far away if you don't want it near you. Um, but unfortunately, you do need a phone and move. So it's great if you're going into nature, meditate on your own. Um, but if you're having focused time of practice every day in your house or on, you know, on the bus or in your office, awesome to use your news. Gotcha. So how many minutes every day should we, do you um, say or suggest that we should use it? So the right amount of time to meditate is the amount of time that you're actually going to do it. Okay. So really, because the point is to start a practice and to keep your practice going regularly. Meditation can be phenomenal for you, but only if you actually do it regularly, just like going to the gym. You can't, you know, go to the gym once and then a month later expect to still be able to move the couch. Um, if you could ever move the couch. Um, with Muse, we've had over 200 published studies using Muse, both as a clinical grade EEG in neuroscience labs, as well as as a meditation tool. So in one of the studies done by Baycrest Hospital in Toronto, they looked at average individuals using Muse for 10 minutes a day for six weeks. And over that period in time, they saw a shift to people's somatic relationships, so less self-perceived like headache and nausea. Um, they saw an increase in calm and also an increase in cognitive function as measured by the Stroop task. So it looked like their ability to make decisions in stressful situations had improved. Um, there's another study from the Catholic University of Milan, and there they had uh, students muse versus regular meditation, and they did it for 10 minutes a day, and by four weeks, they're up to 20 minutes a day. And in that study, they replicated improvements in cognitive function, uh, improvements in calm, and then they were also able to see a persistent shift in brain activity that suggested individuals were in a state of more efficient cognitive processing and calm throughout the day. So that was also very cool. Ten, so 10 to 20 minutes tends to be a sweet spot as demonstrated by the literature. However, if that seems incredibly painful to you, start with three minutes a day. You know, I, I sat down next to somebody and said, start with one minute a day if that's all you can do if you're fidgety. And just start the practice, build it up, and grow your tolerance for the ability to sit with yourself and what comes up, which is to a certain degree what you're really learning to do with meditation. Every time you've got the urge, like, oh my God, it's two and a half minutes. I need to get up. Ugh, I'm feeling this thing pull inside of me saying, run. That yeah. is the sensation that you're working with in your meditation. 
that is exactly what you're learning to say like, hey, my body wants to do one thing, but I know I can just let that feeling go and still be safe to sit here. That's really one of the deep lessons that you learn through meditation, how to simply sit and be, regardless of what your body and mind wants to do, where it wants to run, and how it wants to get you out of the terrible scenario of simply being. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Ariel. I think of a couple of people that um, I know that, you know, they um, do whatever it takes to avoid meditating. It doesn't matter (laughs) what happens. They are adamant that they refuse to actually sit and meditate. So they, you know, I had a conversation with a girlfriend even last night and she was going through a hard time. And I said, have you actually sat and, you know, done a bit of meditation just to quiet some of that internal noise? And she said, well, I've, I've been for a run and I've done a walk um, in nature and, you know, I feel so much better when I do that. And I, 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 and I, I said, I get that. I really, really get that that's, that makes you feel so much better. And there's another level um, that you can, you know, that you can in, enhance that experience, you know, and adamant that she cannot sit because her mind is just far too busy and far too occupied, way too much to say. <laughs> And I can see how something like this would be invaluable to somebody who is just adamant that they, they can't do it. They won't quiet their mind. They can't do it. And I think that there's a large percentage of the population that have that experience. Tell me about the exp- – sorry. No, go ahead. No, 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 please, you go. You can answer, ask the question and I'll answer. Well, I was going to say, tell me about the experience that some of your more advanced meditators, people who do meditate for the purposes of spiritual connection and internal connection, um, how do they experience the product? But please, you say what you were going to say first. You're, you're way more important. Hardly. Not at all. <laughs> not in the least. <laughs> so to first speak to the first part of your question, first part of your notion, yes, it's very common that people don't want to sit and meditate because frankly, being stuck with your thoughts is scary. If you're somebody who even has, you know, the slightest touch of anxious thinking, sitting there and hearing your anxious thoughts is really scary. And the idea of being able to sit and meditate is something that feels painful. Or if you're somebody who has a lot of thoughts and you perceive that meditation is supposed to be about simply letting your mind go blank, you feel like you've already lost. Well, the truth is that meditation is not about letting your mind go blank. And as soon as we sit down to meditate, all of us have thoughts that come in. That's actually the point of meditation, that you have thoughts that come in, and then you choose to do something else other than follow those thoughts. And in a lot of ways, the more thoughts you have, the more opportunity you have to simply choose to do something else, to choose not to follow the thought and just simply come back to your breath. So for either of those scenarios, Muse makes this really, really sort of safe. So if you're somebody who has a lot of anxious thoughts sitting down with the Muse, you aren't going into silence, which is what is really scary. You still sort of have this coach inside your head holding your hand and saying, yep, okay, no, now do this, now do this. So you're not alone with your thoughts. And for somebody who has a lot of thoughts, what you're able to very quickly understand is it's not about not thinking. It's about observing your thinking and making different choices. And that's a super important point for, me- for the practice of meditation. Every time you have a thought, You have a choice whether you follow that thought and do the same thing that you typically do, which is just turn on autopilot and become the thought. Or do you take your mind off that thought and put it elsewhere? And for some people, for the very first time, shift your relationship to your own thoughts, that your thoughts aren't simply happening inside your head and running and ruling you. 
that you are a person who can now have choice of your thoughts, dominion over your thoughts, shifted relationship to your thoughts, and put your mind now on something neutral until the next thought comes up, which it invariably will, which is the opportunity to then observe and shift, observe and shift. And as you make those little shifts, thought by thought by thought, you're actually freeing yourself from the web of thinking. You are freeing yourself from the construct of stories that these thoughts have created about you and the world. And you're freeing yourself from the fixedness that that keeps you in when you're living by the same story every day. And once you start to shift that and shift that relationship, you can start to shift what you believe about yourself, the, the narrative that your thoughts have told you about you, the fixed thoughts that you have about the world as being bad or good. And then you can start to have greater choice and greater freedom in your life and greater freedom from your own mind. Now, I've just gone on a very long tangent to not answer your second question. I'm sorry. No, but what it did for me, um, Ariel, is I actually started to think about all the people out there. And, and this is a growing, um, almost epidemic. And, and these are people that are depressed. These are people who... Um, suicide rates are going up. So as a nutritionist, I see it as a gut issue and a health issue and a physical issue, as well as that the chemical issue as far as, you know, making our neurotransmitters and, and so that we have the good thoughts. So does the muse and um, change those things as well, like change the gut bacteria because you're less stressed because then you've got less cortisol. Have you done testing on this? So we haven't, I don't know if any of our, so all of the studies have been done by third parties, um, research institutions or, or labs um, or hospitals. Like Mayo Clinic has been running a study with breast cancer patients using Muse um, prior to surgery. Um, I don't know of anybody who's looked at uh, gut bacteria or cortisol outcomes. Um, stress is typically looked at as a self-report. Um, when you look at the process of meditation overall, so Muse helps you meditate, meditation has been demonstrated to make shifts in you know, your immune system. It's been de- de- demonstrated to make shift in your aging systems, in your cognitive abilities. Um, and obviously in our overall stress. So when you look at the meditation literature, there's, there's a lot of talk about the way that changing your thoughts is actually able to change literally your biochemistry. So there's an amazing study out of Elizabeth Blackburn's lab. Elizabeth Blackburn is a Nobel Prize winning scientist. She's not some weird woo-woo scientist, literally Nobel Prize winner. And she looked at women who were caregivers to children with chronic conditions. Mm. And she and Elizabeth Atfill um, got together to look at the length of telomeres of these women. So the telomeres are the protective little caps on the end of your DNA um, that actually are a marker for your cellular age. As you age or as you get stressed, those telomeres get shorter and shorter and shorter. And just like the caps on the end of your shoelace, when they get too short, they pop off and your DNA may degrade. Um, so these are looked at as very kind of rigorous markers of cellular aging. What they looked at was this population of women and discovered that these women, possibly not surprisingly, had shorter telomeres than average women because they were more stressed. They gave half of the population an intervention of meditation, and they were able to demonstrate that those women who meditated 
were actually able to lengthen their telomeres. Wow. So literally reverse this marker of cellular aging. And they were able to demonstrate by simply shifting your perspective by being in the exact same challenging situation with a you know chronically sick child, by simply shifting your perspective from one where you felt like you were, you know, unable to do anything about it, it was out of your control, you were being bowled over by this challenge, to through the practice of meditation, taking on a changed perspective of the same scenario and realizing that it was it was a challenge that you could rise through to, that you had tools. Simply shifting this perspective was actually able to trickle down into their body and shift their own biochemistry, shift their cellular milieu, and actually reverse a marker cellular aging. Totally amazing. That's incredible, isn't it? I I um, go to Joe Dispenza's. I don't know if you know Dr. Joe Dispenza. He does, of course. Yeah, he does a week long meditation, and you know, in, in while I'm there, I can do the four hour meditation without any issues. The pineal one. Then I come back here to real life, and the the best I can do is his fifteen minute morning and fifteen minute afternoon because when you're in a situation where you've got a thousand people in the room and um, it's the most incredible feeling to try and find that um, when you come home with everything that's going on, I've always found that hard to do. So I can actually see the muse being like being in a room of a thousand people and it um, and having that feedback because he's he's either got music on or he's constantly talking. Has he been doing research with you, Ariel? He has not. Um, we have a podcast on Tangle, and he was a guest a while ago. Um, but I've actually just reached out again because I've become a big fan of Joe Dispenza lately and a big fan of how he sees the world. So I recently reached out to see if he wants to uh, partner with us or research with us. Oh, I, w- I can't even imagine what he doesn't because he does so much research um, with it already. And I, I've seen incredible healings and not even like being the nutritionist, you know, they don't even change their diet and they have these incredible healings and from aches and pains to numb legs, you know, they have a numb leg because they've been in an accident that disappears. So I, I you know, I was, I was very skeptical and I have to tell you, I was very skeptical about the muse because I was worried um, because another person that we have interviewed is Dr. Jack Cruz and he's very much against, you know, the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi's and the um, non-native electromagnetic fields that are happening around the world and he is concerned about um, not only the physical health of people but, the you know, the, the mental health of people. And, and that was, I guess, my biggest fear with this was... Um, that was what was happening. Can you allay those fears being that there is a Bluetooth with your phone, even though you can have your phone away from you? But can you just, has there been a long-term research in um, that Bluetooth being so close to your, um, your, your brain? Happy to talk about that. So uh, Muse has been out in the market for five years now um, with no adverse effects noted. But we're using Bluetooth LE. So Bluetooth LE is the uh, low-energy Bluetooth. It's extremely low power. It's used in many, many devices, many, 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 many devices that you use. And it projects only out from the head into your phone. So anybody who has a phone near them 
you know, the phone is always sending and receiving, even when you're not using the phone. And the electromagnetic radiation that's generated from simply your phone being on your lap, on your desktop, uh, somewhere within a couple feet of you, is going to be a more intense experience electromagnetically than the simple low-energy Bluetooth that's going from the device to your phone projecting out. So in the scheme of uh, Bluetooth, it's quite minor. It's also not something that you're wearing all the time. You might be using it for 10 minutes a day. You know, it's a quite short period of time. Yeah. As opposed to if you're wearing, you know, Apple earbuds in your ear for an hour listening to music, those, the Bluetooth on those earbuds and going to both ears with interaction between them is more dramatic. Yeah, I always see those and I get a little bit concerned about it. I was, um, I've just come back from the Solomons and there was a gentleman there with a, an earpiece, so he was our driver, and he had an earpiece in his ear for hearing that they had attached a Bluetooth to, so he never had to touch his phone. He just, the phone just answered by his Bluetooth. So I, I, I just, I see all this technology, and he was had it in his ear, to, you know, and all the time he's awake, he has that in his ear, that Bluetooth with the, to help him hear, number one, but to help him answer his phone because... I guess our phones are a part of um, our lives now, even in the Solomon Islands. Yeah, it was interesting. Do you use this every day? Now, I know you're a mum and you're a mum with a three-year-old. So yeah. how does that go with you? Um, so meditation is something that I do absolutely every day, multiple times a day, often throughout the day. And yep. news is also something that I use every day. It's actually the thing that taught me how to meditate. So prior to building the muse, I was one of those people who knew how amazing meditation was, even taught it myself, mm-hmm. but sucked as a meditator because my mind was bouncing all over the place. And I was just like, oh my God, what do I do? This is frustrating. Um, and so it was through the process of using muse that, it was, that I was able to really get what meditation was and get it and have that aha moment of like, oh, this is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. And then have, the 2,000 years of wisdom that I'd read makes sense. And the, you know, now all of the things that I read moving forward and all the various meditation techniques that I do really have a construct to hang on and a, and a real experiential route. Um, so I muse every day. Um, we also have guided meditations. So we have muse, uh, the EEG meditations that we've been talking about, muse mind. In Muse 2, we also have sensors for heart, breath, and body that allow you to hear the sound of your heart, like the beating of the drum, find stillness in your body, track your breath. Uh, and then we have a suite of guided meditations. So if I make up in the middle of the night, I'll put on a guided sleep meditation to help me just fall back to sleep. Um, and I typically muse in the morning and in the evening. Mm. Your um, podcast, Untangle, I noticed that you recently also interviewed Jim Quick. What does Jim um, say about meditation and memory? Because a lot, a lot of people have got so much going on in their head at the moment. Like it's nonstop. And I even find myself just names going out of my head or if I haven't used that name for a long time, I'll, I'll have to go through the filing cabinet and go, why is that name not coming to me? So what does Jim say about um, the muse and um, memory? Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know, Jim is an amazing mm-hmm. uh, memory teacher, guy who can remember anything. And meditation and memory have an interesting relationship. So 
in order to remember something, you need to attend to it. And most of our life, we're actually not paying attention. So we're not actually taking in the information in the world around us because we're not attending to it. You're you know, watching a video on YouTube and thinking about something else. You're in the middle of a conversation with somebody and you're not hearing what they're saying. You're planning what you're going to say. So in order to remember it, you have to listen to it, take it in, and then hang it kind of in a structure in your own mind, be able to put a place where that information goes in your mind so you can recall it again. There's a really cool study that was done by one of the Californias, universities in California, maybe Santa Barbara, and they looked at uh, students studying for their GRE, and they were able to show that a very short intervention of meditation was able to improve GRE scores quite significantly, um, and they postulated it was because people were able to maintain the contents of their working memory while studying. So typically, while you're studying, you have a you know, one to three minute buffer of information that sits in your mind. So as you read through a paragraph, the information in the beginning of the paragraph is held in your mind before you get to the end. And then you're able to put all of that information together, hang it together, create meaning, consolidate, move on. Um, but if in the middle of that paragraph, you start thinking about Facebook or your lunch or something else, a distraction, it can kick the contents of your working memory out. And so then you've lost what's at the beginning of the paragraph or beginning of the sentence, and you're not able to put all the information together. And so meditation is able to help memory even in a scenario like studying because it potentially allows you to maintain the contents of your working memory to improve your attention throughout the process um, without having distractions simply empty that cache. Has there been any studies done on dementia then? Um, so one cool sort of side of um, meditation is it's been demonstrated to uh, potentially improve the size of the hippocampus. So as you age, your hippocampus can shrink, and uh, decreased volume of the hippocampus is a marker in age-related cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, etc. Um, the hippocampus is the learning and memory area of your brain. And when you look at studies of how meditation changes the brain, in which there's tons of amazing cool changes, one of the things that you often see is maintenance of the size of the hippocampus as you age or an improvement in the volume of the hippocampus. And one of the reasons that happens is because uh, the hippocampus shrinks with stress. And so if you're able to inoculate the brain against stress, it's kind of dramatic way of saying it, but if you're able to reduce the amount of stress in your body, um, you're able to reduce stress's effect on the hippocampus since you're able to maintain its size as you age. Um, I know at Muse, we have a study looking at elderly individuals with mild cognitive decline um, using Muse. I should say that Muse is not a medical device. It's not recommended for any particular condition, uh, but we do happen to have a study looking at that. We don't know the outcomes of it yet because the study's in process, but we do know that there are, you know, older adults, I believe probably 60 to 90 currently using Muse within that study. Ariel, do you know if there's much research also linked to the effects and the long-term effects of meditation and obviously using Muse and, and technology like this alongside our sense of smell. Has there been anything related to that as well? Because we know that smell is very hardwired and direct linked to our emotive states and things like that. Is there anything around that area as well? I've actually never seen a study on meditation and smell. Wow. Wow, yet smell can instantly transport us to a time or a place or evoke a feeling or a response or 
have such an effect on our, I guess, our, our physiology, our chemistry. Be wonderful to yeah. see something as an aromatherapist. It would intrigue me to look at oils that are very high in certain constituents that also help relax the mind. So, for me, for instance, to do my meditation practice, there's a there's a ritual around it. Yes, sometimes I can just sit there and do some deep breaths if if I'm just somewhere and I'm wanting to change my feelings or my state, or perhaps something's upset me, or I've just read something on Facebook, or something's happened, and I'll try and I guess put myself into a more calm state, whether or not we call that meditation is is up for debate of course but then when I actually do my meditation practice one of the things the first things I do is to light my vaporizer or put on my diffuser part of that is the ritual and sinking into that sort of preparation state I then put myself in my chair with my blanket face the sun um, is there rituals around that that you teach as well or is it just the technology so everybody can incorporate the technology into whatever ritual or practice makes sense for you. Um, for some people, the act of putting on the headband and sitting down becomes part of the ritual. And in a lot of cases, the headband then becomes a signifier for meditation. So meditation be hard, you know, can be hard to do, hard to make time for. But when you see the thing, you're like, oh, this is my cue that it's meditating. It becomes a part of the ritual. I've even seen people in offices is not our own office. I was actually visiting an office where they were doing um, meditating with muse throughout the office. And putting on the muse became the signal to somebody else to not bug them. It's like, okay, I'm putting on the muse. Oh, that person is meditating. I will not ask them for coffee right now. I will not go and chit chat or send them a random email. <laughs> um, so it kind of takes on a ritual of its own. But I'm also very into any other ritual. You know, all, there's a host of rituals where you can create your own space, time, things that you do, smells, environment, lighting, candles, uh, iconography, dress, all of these things become cues for us to be able to take on a different state or to leave behind the everyday and signify that there's a moment of specialness that is about to arrive for us. You know, our bodies become very good at learning cues and at associating you know, things, places, smells, etc., with state. And then allowing you to use those things to shift your state more effectively is, is really powerful. I love that. I, I love the, um, the, you know, the combination of that anchor and, and, and the muse forming part of that. And, and I see the point that Kim's making there in terms of, you know, <clears throat> different, um, different anchors that a person uses to signify that special time in the day. Um, you know, I'm very similar in that I'll, I rub oil all over myself and Ayurvedic oil and then I go and sit facing north with, you know, and, and get myself ready to meditate. And there are absolutely cues that the brain becomes very used to experiencing. And I think for a new meditator, I mean, I, I'm, I, when I first looked at this product, because I, I remember looking at it actually about a year ago um, when I first saw it coming across my news feed on social media. And I looked into it and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Like if there's something that will, abs will actually support the depth of my meditation and the process of my meditation, then I'm all in. And then um, I'll be honest, I, I was concerned about the Bluetooth and I was concerned about the, you know, the, the whole EMFs and all that sort of stuff during a process of meditation when a person is most receptive and most open. 
Um, and so I didn't, I didn't go any further with it, but I have to say I'm really, um, I, I'm, I'm right onto your website right now and I'm looking through everything at the moment. And she's actually already ordered everything, oh, Ariel. She's <laughs> bought it. She's purchased everything. She's already got her name in the database. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's possible I am that person. <laughs> but I, I, I'd love to. I'd love to come back to that question around um, advanced meditators um, mm -hmm. and how they experience this process. And when I mean an advanced meditator, I don't even know if there's even such a thing, you know, because meditation is that process of cycling between thought and quiet. Um, and so, if I if I just ask something for myself personally, so I've been meditating for a very very long time, and and I might meditate 10 days in a row and on the 11th day I'll finally get to that beautiful deep space of nothingness and then I can sit there for, you know, if I was allowed, I would sit there for five days quite effortlessly. Um, and my question, and, and before I hit buy now and order, so I've got, you know, my, my, my mouse is hovering. So... <laughs> I'm curious as to, um, you know, when a person is in that state of nothingness, and this is completely ignorant because I have no idea about how the product works, so please forgive me on this question. But when a person is in that state of absolute nothingness and the world disappears and you can sit there for five days, does this then become part of an interruption that then breaks that, that, that beautiful nothingness or does this go there with you? So there are a number of different ways that you can use it. So you can use it with the real-time feedback so that you're hearing where you are. And when you're very quiet, when you're in that state, you actually hear little birds chirping, which people love. Um, so when you're in that state, you'd hear like chirping of birds. It'd be super beautiful. Some people actually turn off all of the sounds so that you're not using any of the real-time feedback. You're simply using it as something that tracks your state so that after the fact, you then look back and see what your brain was doing during the course. And say, okay, well, when I was in that state, you know, this is what it looked like on the graph. This is where I was. Um, if you're looking at these two, there's also a heart rate monitor, stillness and breath. So you could do a meditation and look back and actually track the relationship of your heart and your brain during that process. Um, that's a feature that we don't have quite in yet, but we've already built in shipping very soon. So there's always levels of insight that you can gain um, from the process without it interrupting your state without it saying a peep to you in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Ariel, give us an example of maybe one of your clients, you don't have to name or anything like that, of how this has absolutely revolutionised and changed their life. You know, it does, can you just give us an example of this so that um, our listeners can get where this goes and how it works? There are so there's so many of those stories. There's right now hundreds of thousands of people that use Muse. Um, you know, some of them for the last four or five years. Some people just use it at the beginning and learn, and then go back and don't use it again because they've learned. Some people who are very deep meditators will do like an hour Muse med an hour meditation and five minutes of Muse at the beginning to shortcut getting into that deep state. There's lots of ways to use it. Um, if you look on Amazon, there's I don't know like. 500 glowing reviews of people who've had phenomenal experiences with it in various ways. Um, you know, I've heard things as simple as, you know, 
mom brings it home uh, because she loves to meditate. Dad is an engineer and hates meditating, thinks it's really weird, but has difficulty sleeping and, you know, a, a whole bunch of anxious thinking that's holding him up. Um, starts using Muse, all of a sudden it's at his bedside table every night and all of a sudden he's sleeping through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beautiful, simple stories. Like um, a woman told me after about two weeks of musing that she was with her kid in the park and she for the first time realized that she wasn't actually there with him. So every time previous to that, she'd be in the park with her kid and she'd be thinking about dinner and she'd be thinking about the grocery list and her mind would simply be elsewhere in what should have been the most beautiful moment of her life there with her kid. And for the first time, she was able to realize, oh my God, like I'm not actually here. And she was able to make the choice to put aside the grocery list, put aside the other thoughts and actually be there with her kid Mm. in the moment. Um, There's a beautiful article written in the Wall Street Journal about um, the journalist using news and he had this moment with his daughter on his lap when he was able to actually see what it was like to be in the moment and have the glory of the moment and like feel the moment when he is with her there. And so as a mom, obviously those things really resonate with me. Um, and then there's you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. Um, emergency responders who are more able to cope with what's going on, people who you know, had to take time off work and were able to get back to work and back to their lives. And the people who, um, I can't mention medical conditions because we're not an an FDA certified device. um, So I can't reference, you know, how people are using it on their own medical conditions. But I can say that there are thousands of doctors, clinicians, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, life coaches, meditation teachers who recommend Muse, naturopaths, who recommend use to their patients regularly in their practice. Um, you know, all the things that when somebody comes into your practice and they're like, you should be meditating for fill in the blank and nobody ever does it. Now they simply can handle the muse and you know, see the changes that can be made in their life. Um, from a performance aspect, there's lots of uh, athletes that use it. Um, uh, Olympic skaters, the one that comes to mind is Javier Fernandez. He's the um, yeah, he's Olympic silver medalist and I think uh, oh like multiple time European champion um, and he you know told me about using Muse and how he's able to actually get focus when he was in the rink so he had a very very hard skate um, prior to starting meditating with Muse and he fumbled and this was the thing that helped him get over it and block out the sound of the audience block out the thoughts that he was having of the last stumble and be able to actually you know skate the gold so like it heard so many of them and it's not a magic of muse it is the magic of meditation not the meditation is magic it's a process that you do that shifts your mind and body and muse just becomes an easier vehicle to get there so it's it's the magic of meditation that i'm telling you about Ariel, we know that human nature part of our nature is that there's a very addictive side to our personalities. It is, it's proven time and time again that if there's a great feeling, we often will keep going after it. Could you become addicted to this? And is there any negative connotations to <laughs> over-meditating? <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, you can, can become addicted to this. You can become addicted to anything. Um, it's probably one of the healthier addictions. And there is, there is like a bit of a backlash against well meditation is the cure-all for everything because 
if you want to spend your life doing nothing but meditating, people feel like, oh, am I going to lose my motivation? Am I going to lose my sense of self? Um, I can tell you the amount of time that you have to do that to get there is well beyond you know, what most people are willing to donate to this process during their day. Uh, you know, the act of meditating to 10, 10 minutes a day, even an hour a day, and you're somebody who meditates regularly and can sit in that stage for five hours. Um, it, it seems like the benefit that it's given you has been uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, when we started to create this tool, you know, my mission in life was to get more people meditating. And as we sat down to make this, we were like, well, whether the technology works or doesn't work, at least if we get more people meditating, it would be a good thing for the world. You know, my secret belief is that if everybody meditated, if we were able to quiet the aggressions inside of us, the scarcity thinking, um, the things that cause us to act selfishly rather than for the good of all, the things that cause us to create barriers between one another, that cause us to want to take from one another, if we could only quiet those urges inside the self, we would actually have essentially world peace. We'd have a beautiful, wonderful place. Um, is it possible to push that too far? Possibly. I haven't yet met anybody who's gotten there yet, though. Do, do you think you could give it to your president? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Canadian. So, uh, ah, well. <laughs> well, let's give it to that other one down the, down the south of you. <laughs> I wish, man, I wish. I don't know that there's anything that would calm his farm, do you? I really don't think so. <clears throat> Maybe the gun law turning on him. I'm just saying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think major leaders of the world um, have a responsibility to do this type of change in, you know, how, you know, how they're perceiving the world. It just seems to be a... Dog eat dog world. Uh, um, you know, you have been explaining everything that meditation can do, but there is that side of the world that is the exact opposite. It is a like, these um, guys are creating wars. Like, look what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment, and between Korea and the US and China and the US. And I just, I, I don't know how. Is there a hundredth monkey that's going to happen here? Where if enough people start to calm their farm, that it will just become that hundredth monkey thing where everybody starts to do it. And if that is the case, what's that magic number? Do we know that magic number? I wish we did. I mean, my, my, my only hope is that meditation is also sold as something that can make you more productive, more effective, you know, a better trader on the stock market, um, sharper at your game, more able to kill the competition. And that with that, you know, the sort of side, side way to get in with that little, you know, story of how it makes you better, faster and stronger, it will slip its way into the people who need it to make them, yes, better, faster, stronger, but also more compassionate, caring and connected. I'm interested from, from Karen's point of view that um, we know energetically when we're all doing something at the same time, how we can lift <coughs> vibrational frequencies, we can lift energies around us and things. Um, is there any research to suggest the more people that are musing at the same time that that also changes states? Is there anything around that? We haven't looked at that. Um, it's a great question and I don't know the answer to it. It's a beautiful thought and right now it rests only as a thought or a theory. 
It was just a thing done with a whole lot of Tibetan Buddhist monks meditating in Central Park, I think it was, in New York over a certain period of time. And it was noted very distinctively that crime dropped in that four-hour period that these, I think, three or 4,000 monks were sitting in um, Central Park. And so it raises the question that uh, the more that we are aligned to this, the more that we do it with intent, uh, and perhaps with more practice around that, it would make sense that it would change it. I want to ask you the question: Is there a difference between is there a difference between mindfulness and meditation? Great question, and one that commonly gets. So, the, there's many definitions for meditation. The most common working one is a practice or a training that leads to healthy and positive mindsets. So, meditation is the practice itself. It's a thing that you do regularly that shifts or strengthens your brain. Whereas mindfulness is the skill that is built through the practice of meditation. So when you're doing focused attention training, for example, you're focusing your attention on your breath, you're not going into your wandering thoughts. When you're focusing your attention on your breath, you are doing it intentionally and in the present moment. The definition of mindfulness is non-judgmental, present moment awareness and attention to your thoughts, feelings, sensations, and environment around you. So as you practice meditation, you're building the skill of being present and aware in the world. So when you go out into the world through your day, after meditating, you are now more mindful. You are more able to be in the present. You're more able to see the world around you and be aware of it. You're able to be aware of your internal state and all of that is happening without judgment in the present moment. And when that happens, you're quieting your negative inner thoughts because you're not in your wandering mind. You are aware of your internal bodily sensations. You're in touch with when you have stress, what's going on in your body, and you can make choices. And you are in the present. And the present is actually an amazing and beautiful place to be. So that's, that's so beautiful. Mindfulness. Yeah. It is. I have a question about uh, repetition that happens in your brain, whether it's um, a scene or music. So I have this thing where when I, like on Saturday night, I think it was somebody saying how great they are, thou art. Well, I can't get how great thou art out of my brain. What happens there? How does that brain do that? And what is the way to get that out of your brain? Even though it's a beautiful song, I find I'm riding my bike and I'm see, uh, in my brain it's going, how great thou art. <laughs> what is that? What is that um, where you've heard a song and it just stays and stays and stays in your brain? How does, why is it doing that and what is that all about? Uh, so that is commonly referred to as an earworm, <laughs> thought or a song that just is in your, wor- your ear and plays over and over and over again. And it's a phenomenon that many of us get. I get it myself. And when I get it and I listen to the song, I realize that it typically has something to do with the time that I'm in. Um, So (laughs) if it's like... um, Oh, I'll throw it out there. You've got a child, Baby Shark. That bloody song. (laughs) (laughs) So so Baby Shark, yes, because, you know, you hear it a thousand times. Um, but I'll actually realize that it's saying something about my subconscious at that moment. It's not just my environment. It's actually like, it's exposing something to me about what's going on inside of myself. And so I think we often attach to these songs because they seem to have meaning to us. They may not actually have meaning, but songs have an emotional quality to them. And so things that feel emotional have meaning to us. 
song is sort of dynamic. Um, they're both lyrics and sound that's dancing and moving. And so we become very easily attached to things that we perceive as meaningful. And then the job of our brain is to, you know, resurface to us things that have meaning and produce an emotional response. And then kind of in the Joe Dispenza lens of things, when something has an emotional response, it's much more likely to trigger the same thought again because your body feels some way, so it triggers a thought associated with it, which then triggers more sensation in your body in this loop. And so these thoughts, these musical thoughts, have a lot of emotion, which you know gives us meaning and feeling, which then triggers more musical thought. So you can have this thing going in the back of your brain seemingly endlessly. Mm-hmm. Your brain picks up on it, it sings with it, you know, it, it then reinforces it. Um, it lets it go through a period of time. Something triggers it because there's meaning associated with it. So it you know, triggers for meaning all over the place and it surfaces back up. Um, some people have it and some people don't. There are a small number of people on the planet who just don't have music going in their head. <laughs> I don't know who they are. It's certainly not my brain. It's not mine either. <laughs> oh, I just find I just, and I just keep going, come on, stop singing that. And so you have to think of something else and and i'll be swimming along and it'll be singing in my brain and <laughs> but it, it it is usually a song that has had some meaning in my life you know in in the the time i've been alive um and it's usually sung so beautifully that it evokes that emotion and that feeling that maybe was there before. And, and so I keep trying to explain it to myself as to why it keeps singing in my head. <laughs> but you just explained that beautifully. I had, I thought I was the only crazy person out there that the music just wouldn't stop. No, I currently have Beatles love, love, love that's always triggered by what you were saying. <laughs> it's going to keep going. My best advice is to simply enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I will do that then. <laughs> Unless it's Baby Shark. I haven't heard Baby Shark, you know. My, oh, oh my I'll play it to you. We will not put that worm in your ear. We promise. <laughs> Please don't. I will resist the temptation to sing it right now. Karen, I'm now interested, my darling, in now that you've heard all about the science and beautiful Ariel's knowledge behind Muse, what are your thoughts now about have you purchased it? I'm just, I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hovering. <laughs> I'm still hovering. Because, because Ariel, you must understand that Karen is our guru when it comes to mindset, psychology, mm-hmm. quantum physics. She is, uh, she's someone that Cindy and I have always looked up to with her knowledge around this area, particularly given her life experiences and all her research. So, um, for us to have Karen's approval is very important to us. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Look, I think, honestly, I, I mean, if, if, if I'm going to be really honest, and I'm just looking at my phone here and I can see you guys texting each other saying, has she bought it? Has she bought it? <laughs> we know you too well, Miss Karen. You do. You do. You know me far too well. Look, I think it's a fantastic device. I think it's a really, really magical way of getting people to meditate. Mm. And Ariel, I'm with you 100%. And I, you know, for myself, I come from quite a spiritual perspective on on life. And, you know, I think that the more people that we can have um, connected to themselves and connected to the force that's greater than themselves, that's in and of themselves, the more people will know who they are and then there'll be less necessity for us to um, need to compete with each other because we'll see who we are and we'll see who others truly are. 
And I really think that we're missing a huge component of that. And I couldn't help but giggle, even though I was on mute, I couldn't help but giggle when you're saying, let's make meditation trendy and then it'll make you trade better on the stock market <laughs> or it'll make you be, have, you know, like it'll hone your killer instincts. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm sporting a bit of a cough at the moment, but I, I think, you know, Sadly, that may actually be the only way that we'll be able to give people a direct experience of meditation rather than then listening to a show like this where we talk about the benefits of it and the magic of it um, because, you know, they, don't, they, 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 can't, they can't understand until they've actually had a direct experience. So I, I, I'm all for this technology and this device that you've created. I think it's fantastic and I want to congratulate you on being willing to back yourself and back something like this to such an extent that it could actually be a catalyst for, you know, enormous change amongst humanity because you can talk about meditation till the cows come home, but until you actually do it, you do not know. And until you do it for a sustained period of time, you still don't know. And I think that this gives people um, the kind of feedback that they're looking for in real time. It makes them feel that they're interacting with something that is improving their lives. And if you look at the huge phenomena that the Fitbit has become in life, I think that this is just a beautiful, um, a beautiful way for people to be able to see this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm getting out of it. And there was a time when we probably didn't need that. But in today's society, we absolutely need that. We need to know that we're achieving and we need to know that we're actually succeeding in something. And, um, you know, if it, if it is that inner deep dive that this device gives us access to, well, hats off to it and congratulations to you. I think you're a legend. Oh, thank you so much. And it's really, it's not, I mean, we spent the time talking about the technology, but it's really, it has nothing to do with technology. Technology is only a vehicle and it's only useful insofar as it's in service of humanity. And for the brief moments the technology is useful, take it and use it. And for all of the moments when it's not, please. <laughs> no, I agree with you. No, I agree with you. It is about the self. It is about the self and the connection to nature, to man, to one another, to us, to who you are, to what you were able to become, to the choices that you're able to make. It is about you. And sometimes tools and technology are helpful in that journey for a period Absolutely. of time when they are right. Um, and hopefully not for all of the journey. Oh. I think you're spot on. I think it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a means to a process. It's a means to a to a divine experience. You're amazing. Thank you for being on the show today. You've given us some amazing insight. Is there anything more that you'd like our listeners to hear before we bring them the show to a close? No, I'm good. I have you know a thousand more things that I can share, but but perhaps for another chat. Oh no 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 no! Please share. Just number them off. <laughs> 999, let's go. <laughs> How do people find where you are, Ariel? And um, do you have social media? Do you, <coughs> if they want to follow you, are they um, your website? Can you give us that information? Sure, sure you can find uh, more about me on Instagram, Ariel's Musings, A-R-I-E-L-S underscore Musings, uh, Twitter, Ariel.Garten, um, on podcast untangle we interview meditators and experts on the brain um so you can find that on any of your favorite streaming on untangle and uh, of course muse is at choosemuse.com wonderful sounds sounds good um 
And I will um, direct people to your Untangle and your TEDx talk. I know it was done in 2011, um, but I did notice that um, it's it's a wonderful it, it's a wonderful TEDx talk. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was before Muse was ever created. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, just one final question from me, Ariel. Just just curious. You're a mum. You're a wife. I mean, do you all sit around? with your headbands on? Is this part of something that you do with your family? It's a family ritual. Is it something you'll be teaching your children? Uh, so my son's only three. So Muse does not yet fit on his head. Muse is uh, for, for older individuals, so teenagers and on up typically. Um, my husband uses it in secret though, not when I'm looking, which is interesting. So I'll find you know, the Muse out of its case on the side of his bed or next to his computer. Um, and it's something that I do unabashedly every um, and my little boy, I have taught to meditate already in uh, all the simple ways that you can teach a rambunctious little boy. So sit, close your eyes, count, follow your breaths. Um, and when he sees me sitting there, he says, Mommy, are you meditating? <laughs> it's the sweetest thing in the world. Ariel, my brother, um, is a, um, he meditates every day. Um, and he has taught, he has a, an eight-year-old now and a five-year-old. But from the day that, I can remember he reads them a story and then he does a gong and the gong is when he meditates for that 20 minutes and those kids, they're in the bed and they know that that's their meditation time and then he does a gong to finish and then he walks out of the room and I've never seen anything different than that's what he does. So he's been teaching his kids from the day they were listening to read, he's reading him books every night. Amazing. It's a beautiful practice. Mm, it is. I would love to meet those kids. <laughs> they're great. They're my niece and nephew. Of course they're great. <laughs> yeah, they're good kids. Amazing. Well, this has been a fantastic show, Ariel. Thank you so much for the time that you've given us and all the information that you've shared with us. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you, my sincere pleasure. A total honor to be here with all three of you. Truly delight. Thank you. Well, let's hope that we get to see more people using the muse and more people finding that beautiful space of inner peace within. So for all of our listeners, head on over to the website and also go on over to Facebook on all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And if you've got any comments about today's show or any thoughts or any ideas, please post them there. We'd love to chat with you. That's why we're called Up for a Chat, you know. So head on over to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and you can, have, you can make your comments and questions there as well. In the meantime, make sure that you pop it into your diary to join us here same time, same station next week right here on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are going to see you in the Zen moment. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.